Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And we just honour you, we celebrate you, we give you thanks for who you are. We give you thanks for the freedom that we have to worship you and to uh, remember you. Um, We celebrate your goodness. Father, we just, just in this moment, I just want to pray that your spirit will already be pouring out and it has been pouring out into hearts and minds. Those that have needed restoration and renewal those hearts and minds and spirits that have needed healing. Your spirit's already been ministering. And Father, I want to thank you for that. I pray that your spirit will continue to minister as we explore this text, as we press deeper into this text. May we not just simply see words on a page, on a screen, but words that uh, penetrate, receive. May we receive the words that penetrate our hearts and know that you're penetrating us, you're speaking to us, you're... you're, um, bringing healing and transformation to us. Um, May we not simply encounter a a dusty book, but a life-changing relationship. Holy Spirit, I pray that the words that I speak would be the words of your Spirit, uh, that people would receive the Spirit, uh, be um, open to the Spirit, and if there's anything that I say that's not of you, that it might just fall to the ground. Maybe there's things that need to be picked up today. Maybe there's things that need to be left behind today. That your ministry would happen in this moment. And Father, we pray that not, not just for the Horsham Church of Christ, but for your church in this region, in this state, in this country, throughout the world, in every expression, the persecuted church, the church that expresses great freedom. Uh, may, may your power be found in your word, Father. And may your word and and a relationship with you bring change and transformation in us and through us as we seek to follow Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I remember coming home from school uh, on occasions, long before ripped jeans were actually a fashion statement. And um, I probably started the fashion statement, to be honest. Um, No. That's not honest at all, is it? Um, that's just a terrible, flat-out lie. Um, and I'm sorry. I beg your forgiveness. Um, I've never started a trend in my life. <laughs> not likely to. Um, but I remember coming home, grey school jeans, and every now and then uh, I would have holes in my jeans. Now, and I'll probably say every now and then, it was probably more frequent than every now and then because there was a couple of things that worked against me. Um, I was a boy that played football, cricket and did a lot of running around when, in the days where you could play British Bulldogs in schools. Remember British Bulldogs? Yeah. Um, I played. Um, you put me on a court, I play and I play hard. Um, maybe not so much more anymore. I'm feeling a bit fragile. Um, my body's, but anyway, jeans, tears. So uh, I'd have holes in my jeans. And uh, so m- 
my mum would find these jeans or find these holes after she washed them and had found these iron-on patches. The iron, yeah, some of you are nodding. Oh, good, okay. Some of you still use these. Um, <clears throat> mum would iron on these patches. Now, there are a few things about these patches. Um, they felt weird. You felt like you put the jeans on and it stiffened the knee joint somehow. You felt like you were kind of walking like this a little bit. You kind of had to crack it open again. Um, but they started peeling as well. And worst of all, probably, they weren't the same colour. So it was really obvious. I was less inclined to wear those jeans for a long period of time. I can't, I can't even remember. I'd, I'm not sure what memory mum has of those. Uh, I'm sure I'll find out. Um, so <laughs> um, I don't know what memory Jared has of them, but um, I just remember the change being really distinct in those jeans that had become really comfortable. I was able to move freely in them. I wasn't brave enough to wear shorts on the cold days or anything like that, especially in Ballarat. I wore jeans and three layers on top. Um, so... But I remember these patches very distinctively and these jeans all of a sudden, because of that change, became very uncomfortable. Change can be like that, can't it? It can be very uncomfortable. I was having a conversation with a mate this week about having our eyes tested and hence the image of the glasses uh, because I know very little about wine so I decided to go with glasses um, and the nature of glasses. We're talking about having our eyes tested and the need for uh, different lenses and my mate was saying how he would adjust the sheet of paper until it got clear and then the optometrist put a pair of glasses on him and he went, whoa, that's amazing. And I, I talked about my experience. <laughs> um, and it was lucky, he just put up his hand, so I'm dobbing him in. Um, but um, my experience was having reading glasses, but getting frustrated and not knowing what to do, especially when I was up here preaching. I'd have reading glasses, and I'd have my reading glasses to read a text, and then I'd look up, and you'd all be blurry. Um, so now I have multifocals, which have a little bit in the bottom that I have to kind of tilt my eyes at the right angle to get the text right and then look up and you're all still reasonably looking, um, at least not blurry. Uh, and my mate, Lockie, just looks at me and he says, why didn't you make the font bigger on your notes? <laughs> one word to a page. Well, that's one word, to, and I said to him, mate, I've got my ways, I've got my methods, I've got my system. If you want me to stand up here and know what I'm saying, it has to be clearly done. It has to be done a certain way. No, not even... <laughs> Thank you. Not even 50 yet, said the 80-year-old. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> Woo! So, um, quite frankly, I didn't think of... I've just got lost now. My notes are a waste of time. Um, I didn't even think of changing my notes that dramatically or um, in that simple way. I hadn't even thought of it. But I had a particular way of doing things. And don't, isn't that how we often operate? We have a particular way of doing things. We have a particular way of doing things because it's familiar and because it's comfortable. And sometimes the answer or the direction or even the need for something different can be right in front of us, but we will still resist it because 
it's not what we've done or it's not what we're used to. And look, I had no plans to do this text on the day that we're talking about our children's ministry and youth ministry out in the foyer at lunchtime. These two things have just aligned by the grace of God. Um, and I do want to say if you're new to faith, if you're exploring faith, if you're new to the church, if you're watching us online for the first time, we do want to say welcome. And maybe this is a change for you, but we pray that in this change for all of us, we are having our hearts and our minds transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Because reality is most of us in some ways struggle with change at some point. Even if we initiate change, even if we feel like there needs to be a change, even if we feel like we need to have a different understanding of how we see things, the, the force to go through it or the courage to go through with it or the, the heart and the compassion to bring others with us, it brings with it struggle and tension and difficulty. And particularly if it's something that we've known for a long period of time. We can get to a place where we're unable to see the need for change, we're unable to see the possibilities that change might bring and every now and then we might just simply be unwilling to pay the cost to see that change implemented. That might actually bring about a new way of life, a new way of being, a new relationship, a new encounter. And we can really get stuck because we often lose sight of why we might be participating in the things that we're doing. We just do them, whether that's personal, whether that's faith, whether that's work. We just do them. Why do we do them? Because that's the way I was taught to do it. Because that's what we've always done. Because that's just easy. And why is it easy? Because I know it. You're not laughing so much now. And I think this is part of the challenge that Jesus encounters as we read in Mark chapter 2 verses 13 to 22 Jesus further reveals his purpose and his desire for a relationship which sparks further unsettling for uh, people who had been used to a particular way of doing things a particular way of participating in relationship Jesus begins to really confront challenge and shift how we participate in a relationship with his father. So here we go. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. You will hear this on a regular basis in the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't already picked it up, there is crowds constantly. And what fascinated me after I spoke about last week when, we, when I invited you to consider where do you stand, whether you're part of the crowd, whether you need healing, whether you're part of the critics, whatever, whether you're the friends who bring others to faith, Jesus continues to engage with the crowd. He doesn't dismiss himself from the crowd. Verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, which is a cue about what's about to happen here. Tax collector's booth, tax collector working for the Roman Empire. Levi, son of Alphaeus, making it very clear this man is a Jewish man um, and uh, working for the Roman Empire. Not a great place to be. Jesus says to him, follow me. Levi gets up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. 
When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on the old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse." And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I love how Jesus directly responds at times to a question that is asked and then uses imagery not to shift it dramatically but to simply remind people who are paying attention are you paying attention here are you hearing what's happening are you picking up what jesus is inviting us to because this is not actually about sewing up holes and pouring wine into new wineskins this is about a relationship this is about the depth the, the wonder, the joy, the expanse, the enriching nature of relationship that has been so shrunk down and manage, made manageable that people are actually missing out on life. It's an invitation to have heart, minds and spirits open to encounter the beauty and wonder, the richness of a relationship with the Father through Jesus. Jesus eats with the wrong people. And it's a great question. Maybe it's, um, who are the sinners? I love that in the Gospel of Mark. You know, Jesus went and ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. Well, who are they? They're not marked by name. But it's obvious to the Pharisees that these people are not people that teachers should be eating with. These are not people that the teachers should be sharing life with. These sinners, if, if you like, are everyone else except them. Everyone else who doesn't participate in the way of life, in the kind of relationship, in the way that they participate in the relationship with God, if they don't do it like them, they're the sinners. And you're put into that bucket. Who are those who don't do life like them, well, they don't participate in the temple rituals. They don't bring the sacrifices to the temple. They don't keep the Jewish customs, perhaps. Perhaps like the tax collectors, they've betrayed their people because after all, they're working for the Roman Empire, a Jew working for the Roman Empire. We're trying to overthrow this Roman Empire. What are you doing working for that empire? Um, the, the people who are so wrapped up in the law and the tradition and the way of doing things, so much so it was careful who you touch. Careful who you're seen with. Careful who you eat with. Careful who you seem to be talking to. Careful what food you eat. 
These were the things that measured the relationship with the Father. And so because of the way that they did things, because of their traditions, because of the methods, that defined the relationship. And if you don't do it like this, you can't possibly have a relationship with God. And I love how the teachers of the law don't go to Jesus directly, but they ask his disciples. Now, I don't know if Jesus overheard the conversation or the disciples came to him or what happened in that moment. But I can imagine those eating with Jesus um, and they, they hear this question being asked. Let me go back here. <clears throat> The tax collectors and the sinners hearing this question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I can imagine everyone sitting around the table having their breath taken away. This moment of quietness comes over them. And they think, oh, here we go again. Here's the moment where we get told why we don't belong. Here's the moment where we're told why we don't fit. Here's the moment where another promising person who came to upset the empire and offer a different way of life reminds us of why we are not worthy. Have you ever been in that spot? My sadness about this, my reflection about this, is that probably many Many people in our world think that's exactly what the church will remind them of. Why they don't fit. Why they don't belong. Why they're not welcome. So I can imagine the household, the gathering, the buzz of the gathering, all of a sudden. Here we go again. And I can imagine their response then as Jesus simply said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now the question, <laughs> the question here is, who are the sinners? Who are the sinners? And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, was, well, certainly not us, after all. We abide by our tradition. We abide by the law. We do what we were told to do, the way that we were told to do it, when we were told to do it. Now, all of that is well and good. All, after all, it's come out of a relationship, out of slavery, out of exodus, it's got life, it's meant to have life, it's meant to have relationship with it, but it's become so drilled down by my relationship with God looks like this. And you can't argue with this kind of question or the statement that Jesus makes, but you can miss the point. Who are the righteous? 
And who are the sinners? And are you really that righteous when you don't recognise your need to be saved or you don't recognise the invitation into a life-giving relationship? When you don't recognise the invitation to participate in a relationship that's meant to enlarge, increase, enrich, abundant life. Can you still call yourself righteous if you miss that invitation? It's a fascinating question, who are the righteous and who are the sinners? Imagine being so close to the revelation in Jesus. Imagine being so close with all the stories that you have heard, all the promises that you have heard, the promise of a Messiah to come. Imagine being so close, within touching distance, to the full expression of God's love and missing it because you are made right, because you are the righteous person because of your traditions and the law that you have upheld your whole life. And yet... When those laws and traditions that invite you into relationship is right there in front of you, you miss it. <clears throat> Imagine that. <laughs> so they can't argue with Jesus about who needs doctors. I mean, how can you argue with that statement? Sick people need doctors, don't they? And it fascinates me. Mark often will do this and he'll use a, a pairing, if you like, to tell the story. They press in a little bit harder. Okay, well, that challenge about who we eat with didn't go very well. Let's push in a little bit harder with the law. How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Okay, we can't necessarily pick on who you eat with, how you share life with people, what kind of relationships. Let's pick on you about your law. Now, it might be reasonable for John's disciples to be grieving, so they are fasting, because after all, he's just been taken to prison. Remember that? Because I know you've all committed the first chapter of Mark to memory. And you're... Anyway. Um, so, but, uh, sorry, so John's in prison. Um, they might be grieving. The Pharisees, though, this is a question of law rather than relationship. And we don't have time here or space here to unpack the significance or power of fasting except to say, um, I'm still learning and developing my understanding of it. You might have a, a, a greater understanding of it, some of you. Uh, and except to say it was never meant to be a, to a, a, a sign of personal piety. It was ne never meant to be a sign of puffing our chest out and saying how good we are for keeping the traditions and the law. No law was ever designed to do that. All the laws and traditions coming out of Exodus and coming out of slavery into life were about honouring the relationship with the Father. The fasting law is about... Uh, a a law or an invitation to humility and a reminder that we are dependent upon God. The point of fasting was never the fasting, but to redirect, to reset our attention, our motivation and worship to God. And in fact, this becomes a growing tension. In Mark chapter 7, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? They actually state what they're most upset about. You're not doing it how we have done it for generations. Instead of eating their food with defiled hands, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. Take a breath. 
These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Our traditions can so often set aside the heart of the Father. The way that we have done things can so often set aside the heart of the Father. And if you really want to go press into fasting a little bit more, go and read Isaiah 58. And there you discover what the heart of fasting, the desire of fasting, to bring justice, to bring freedom, to remind us of who we are, to humble ourselves, to care for the outcast. That's the point of fasting. The call to be reminded of God's heart for those who don't yet know him. Not a tradition that makes us feel better about ourselves. These are the questions of Mark. What is the point of what you're doing? (laughs) Who is it for? What is it for? Does it express the expanse of God's love? Does it welcome and care for the outcast? Or is it simply give you a feel-good tick in your traditions. Now, Jesus understood, let's not misunderstand here, Jesus understood the value of the traditions. Did he say you throw out the old wine? No. He simply said, be careful where you pour it. (laughs) He didn't even say throw out the old material. He just says you've got to think about how you mend it. It has its place. Tradition, heritage has its place, has its value. But if it's not pointing us to the heart of the Father, there's something drastically wrong here. And there's a place for the old things and the old way of doing things and there is a place for the new way of doing things. But traditions and laws very much depend on the heart and while have purpose, they can quickly suck the energy out of life if we lose sight of why. Tradition for the sake of tradition is death and it's lost its power and significance in our life. And we're actually missing out on the joy of celebrating God with us. So I wonder if, if many people in our world and many conversations that people of faith might be having and might be considering, when people think of the church, do they think of an abundant, life-giving, enriching, expanding kind of life or do they think of rules and traditions? Do they think of a, a community run by traditions or a community that uh, seeks to enrich life? And the question that was being asked here, I think, is still so relevant for us today. How do we participate in this relationship? What, how does the way that we do things engage and enrich life? And that's a personal decision as well as a communal decision. Why do I do this? Why do I participate in this? And it's not a, it's not a, a question of condemnation or fear, but it's a question of invitation to consider 
And especially as we think about our younger generations, as we think about raising up younger generations in our homes, when we say to our children, why? Because I said so. Is no longer enough. Much to some people's disgust. You know, some of you are, yeah, brr, brr, brr. And why doesn't, if we say because I said so, that's hardly breathing life into our generations, is it? Why? Because I find life in this, because I discover energy, because it deepens my relationship with the Father, because it reminds me that I'm not alone, because I'm empowered to serve. Why? Because I love God, because I want you to love God, because I want to see others love God and have their life transformed and changed by a relationship with God. Why? Hmm, We might have to think about that one. And maybe that's the question I want to leave with you today. Does following Jesus actually enrich your life? And enriching your life, expanding your life, does it also enrich others? Does following Jesus cause a world to open up to us or does it cause us to close off and shrink back from the world? And again, don't, it's not a question to be overwhelmed or condemned if following Jesus doesn't have that experience for you, but everything that we're talking about, everything that we're pointing towards is an invitation to consider what does it mean? What does it look like for you, for us, for me, for us to follow Jesus? Personally, what will it mean when I go home If I encounter Jesus today, how will that shape my marriage? How will that shape the relationship with my children? How will that shape and shift my view about my finances and how I care for those who are less fortunate? How I invest in a ministry? How I serve? How I'm empowered to talk about my relationship with Jesus? What will it do when I open up the scriptures? Will it bring new life to the scriptures? Will it breathe new life in my spirit as I read scriptures? As I talk about the scriptures? As I engage in community in my life? Group. This is the invitation to have my life enriched and so invite others to have their life enriched and increased as well. Not to be shrunk down. Everything that we do is an invitation to follow Jesus. May today um, be an invitation to reset, to redirect and to eat again with Jesus in all the fullness and wonder and richness of life. And as you do that, consider the meals that you might share with friends, the opportunities that you have to enrich the life of others, to cheer them on, to invite them into conversation. Perhaps not to be so hung up on who is the righteous and who are the sinners, but to be more hung up on following Jesus and living out of his love as he reveals the glory and the wonder of God. Would you stand with me? As always, as our team uh, come to lead us in our final song, um, you know, we can be slaves to many things. 
We can be slaves to the way that we've done things. We can be slaves to um, simply ticking off a list. What does it look like to live in a a life-giving, enriching relationship with the Saviour of the world? And as always, we invite you to um, come forward and receive prayer. And that might be you want to declare Jesus Christ your Lord and Saviour. It might be you need a prayer for healing or a prayer of encouragement and blessing. You might want to bring others to do that. Or you might need to turn someone next to you and ask them to pray for you. If you're a follower of Jesus and someone turns to you and says, this is what I'm struggling in, can you pray with me? Just open your mouth and if the only words come out, God help, then great. Or maybe something else is placed on your heart that you just want to bless them and encourage them. And if you're at home online, we'd love you to connect with us as well through the webpage. Let us know that you've been watching. We'd love to continue praying with you as well. This isn't just about tradition. This is just about, right, we've closed off the song. We've done the traditional thing. We've done the Sunday morning thing. Tick. Please don't let this year, this day go like that where we just open up the Gospel of Mark and how nice is that? What does it mean for this relationship to shape me, to change me, to enrich me, to open me up to the promises and the blessings of a Father who loves me?